Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. This file is being recorded for the August 2023 edition of Socialism for All, and it's an audiobook of Articles for Rabotchia Gazeta by Lenin from 1899. If you like this video, please click like and subscribe, and consider supporting on Patreon at patreon.com slash socialismforall. There's a link to Patreon in the video description. So this piece consists of four parts, a letter to the editorial group, then three articles, our program, our immediate task, and an urgent question. It was written in the second half of 1899 and first published in 1925 in Lenin Miscellany 3. The source is Lenin Collected Works, Progress Publishers, 1964, Moscow, Volume 4. HTML transcription and markup by R. Simbala and D. Walters, and it's in the public domain at the Lenin Internet Archive within the Marxists Internet Archive. Marxists.org thanks as usual to MIA for hosting this and thousands of other free Marxist texts. We begin with an editorial note. It says Lenin wrote our program, our immediate task, and an urgent question during his exile. He intended the articles for Rabotchia Gazeta, which had been adopted as the official organ of the party at the first Congress of the RSDLP, Russian Social Democratic Labor Party. An attempt to renew the publication of the newspaper was made in 1899, and the editorial group proposed to Lenin that he assume the editorship. Later, it invited him to collaborate. Lenin sent the articles with the letter to the editorial group. The attempt to renew publication was unsuccessful, and the articles were never printed. So let's begin with the letter to the editorial group. Dear comrades, in response to your request, I'm sending three articles for the newspaper and deem it essential to say a few words about my collaboration in general, and the relations between us in particular. From your previous communication, I gathered that you wanted to found a publishing firm and give me a series of social democratic pamphlets to edit. Now I see that matters are different, that you have set up your editorial board, which is beginning the publication of a newspaper, and invites me to collaborate. Needless to say, I agree willingly to this proposal as well, but I must state in doing so that I consider successful collaboration possible only on the following terms. 1. Regular relations between the editors and the collaborator, who shall be informed of decisions on all manuscripts, accepted, rejected, or changed, and of all publications of your firm. Two my articles to be signed with a special pseudonym. If the one I sent you has been lost, choose another yourselves. 3. Agreement between the editors and the collaborator on fundamental views concerning theoretical questions, concerning immediate practical tasks, and concerning the desired character of the newspaper, or a series of pamphlets. I hope the editors will agree to these terms, and, in order to effect the earliest possible agreement between us, I will deal in brief with the questions arising out of the third condition. I am informed that you find that the, quote, old current is strong, and that there is no particular need for a polemic against Bernsteinism and its Russian echoers. I consider this view to be too optimistic. Bernstein's public announcement that the majority of the Russian Social Democrats agree with him, and there's a note here, Russian opportunists, the so-called economists and the Bundists, were in agreement with Bernstein's views. In his premises of socialism, Bernstein represented their agreement with his views as being that of the majority of the Russian Social Democrats, social democracy being what Marxism was called at that time. Continuing, the split between the, quote, young Russian Social Democrats abroad and the Emancipation of Labor Group, which is the founder, the representative, and the most faithful custodian of the, quote, old current. Note, this is a reference to the split in the Union of Russian Social Democrats abroad at its first conference held in Zurich in November 1898. Continuing, the vain efforts of Robotia Missile to say some new word, 
to revolt against the, quote, extensive political tasks, to raise petty matters and amateurish work to the heights of apotheosis, to wax vulgarly ironical over, quote, revolutionary theories. Lastly, complete disorder in the legal Marxist literature and the frantic efforts on the part of the majority of its representatives to seize upon Bernsteinism, the, quote, criticism a la mode. All this, in my opinion, serves to show clearly that the re-establishment of the, quote, old current and its energetic defense is a matter of real urgency. You will see from the articles what my views on the tasks of the paper and the plan of its publication are. I should very much like to know the extent of our solidarity on this question. Unfortunately, the articles have been written in somewhat of a hurry. It's very important for me to know the deadline for their delivery. I think it's necessary to launch a direct polemic against Robocia Missile, but for this purpose, I should like to receive numbers 1 and 2, 6, and those following 7. Also, Proletarskaya Borba. Note, Proletarskaya Borba, or Proletarian Struggle, was published by the Social Democratic Group of the Urals, the first issue being printed in the winter of 1898-99 at the group's own press. The writers who prepared the collection adopted an economist position. And for people not familiar with economism, this was a trend that Lenin fought against fiercely. It basically said that the workers could at best attain trade union consciousness, that is, awareness that organizing and struggling could result in better conditions and other things directly related to the job and the shop floor. But they argued against a revolutionary vanguard in the proletarian movement, instead saying that revolutionary theorizing should be left to the liberal intelligentsia and that the spontaneous action of the masses was sufficient, that the leaders of the proletarian movement should just observe and document the spontaneous movements of the masses, and that these were sufficient for generating socialist ideology. So that's an intro to economism. Continuing, the journal denied the necessity for an independent working-class political party and believed that the political revolution could be affected by a general strike. Lenin characterized the views of the authors of this collection in an assessment in Chapter 4 of What is to be Done. Back to the main text. I need the last name pamphlet also in order to review it in the paper. As to length, you write that I am to impose no constraint on myself. I think that as long as there is a newspaper, I shall give preference to newspaper articles and deal in them even with pamphlet themes, reserving for myself the right to work the articles up into pamphlets at a later date. The subjects with which I propose to deal in the immediate future are 1. The draft program. I'll send it soon. Here Lenin is referring to a draft program of our party. 2. Questions of tactics and organization that are to be discussed at the next Congress of the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party. Note, this refers to the second Congress of the RSDLP, which was to have been convened in the spring of 1900. 3. A pamphlet on rules of conduct for workers and socialists at liberty, in prison, and in exile, modeled after the Polish pamphlet on rides of conduct. If you can, I should like you to obtain it for me. 4. Strikes. Point 1. Their significance. Point 2. Laws on strikes. Point 3. A review of some of the strikes of recent years. And 5. The pamphlet, Woman and the Working Class Cause, and others. I should like to know approximately what material the editorial board has in hand, so as to avoid repetition and the tackling of questions that have already been exhausted. I shall await an answer from the editorial board through the same channels. Apart from this way, I have not had, nor have I any, other means of communicating with your group. Signed, F.P., one of Lenin's pen names. So, that's the introductory letter. Now on to the three articles. First article, our program. 
international social democracy is at present in a state of ideological wavering. Hitherto, the doctrines of Marx and Engels were considered to be the firm foundation of revolutionary theory, but voices are now being raised everywhere to proclaim these doctrines inadequate and obsolete. Comment. Think I've heard that one before. As you can see, the whole Marxism is obsolete thing, it goes back to the beginning, even when Marx was still alive, even when Marxism was basically still brand new. Pay it no mind. Well, fight it, but otherwise, don't internalize it. Continuing, whoever declares themselves to be a social democrat and intends to publish a social democratic organ must define precisely their attitude to a question that is preoccupying the attention of the German social democrats and not of them alone. We take our stand entirely on the Marxist theoretical position. Marxism was the first to transform socialism from a utopia into a science, to lay a firm foundation for this science, and to indicate the path that must be followed in further developing and elaborating it in all its parts. It disclosed the nature of modern capitalist economy by explaining how the hire of the laborer, the purchase of labor power, conceals the enslavement of millions of propertyless people by a handful of capitalists, the owners of the land, factories, mines, and so forth. It showed that all modern capitalist development displays the tendency of large-scale production to eliminate petty production and creates conditions that make a socialist system of society possible and necessary. It taught us how to discern, beneath the pall of rooted customs, political intrigues, abstruse laws, and intricate doctrines, the class struggle, the struggle between the propertied classes in all their variety and the propertyless mass, the proletariat, which is at the head of all the propertyless. It made clear the real task of a revolutionary socialist party, not to draw up plans for refashioning society, not to preach to the capitalists and their hangers-on about improving the lot of the workers, not to hatch conspiracies, but to organize the class struggle of the proletariat and to lead this struggle, the ultimate aim of which is the conquest of political power by the proletariat and the organization of a socialist society. Comment there, when Lenin says, not to hatch conspiracies, a lot of people think that conspiracy means some weird idea about something that happened. A conspiracy is, if you look it up in the dictionary, a plot between two or more people to do something illegal, immoral, otherwise nefarious. So when Lenin says not to hatch conspiracies, in other words, it's not the role of Marxists or a communist party to be doing sort of intrigues and conspiracies to try to advance its aims, but what instead? organize the class struggle of the proletariat and lead the struggle. So in other words, this is a mass movement, not the Blancist idea, which we've covered previously on the channel, of just getting a small group of people who sort of do this conspiracy to, you know, fight for the working class. That just isn't how this works. All right, continuing. And now we ask, has anything new been introduced into this theory, Marxism, by its loud-voiced, quote, renovators, who are raising so much noise in our day and have grouped themselves around the German socialist, Bernstein. Absolutely nothing. Not by a single step have they advanced the science which Marx and Engels enjoined us to develop. They have not taught the proletariat any new methods of struggle. They have only retreated, borrowing fragments of backward theories and preaching to the proletariat not the theory of struggle, but the theory of concession. Concession to the most vicious enemies of the proletariat governments, and bourgeois parties who never tire of seeking new means of baiting the socialists. Plekhanov, one of the founders and leaders of Russian social democracy, was entirely right in ruthlessly criticizing Bernstein's latest, quote, critique in his article Bernstein and Materialism, 
This is also covered at length by Rosa Luxemburg in Reform or Revolution. The views of Bernstein have now been rejected by the representatives of the German workers as well at the Hanover Congress. Note that was in 1899, September, October. The Congress voted against Bernstein's revisionism and also subjected it to a lengthy criticism. Continuing, we anticipate a flood of accusations for these words. The shouts will rise that we want to convert the Socialist Party into an order of, quote, true believers that persecutes, quote, heretics for deviations from, quote, dogma, for every independent opinion and so forth. We know all about these fashionable and trenchant phrases, only there's not a grain of truth or sense in them. There can be no strong Socialist Party without a revolutionary theory which unites all Socialists from which they draw all their convictions, and which they apply in their methods of struggle and means of action. To defend such a theory, which to the best of your knowledge you consider to be true, against unfounded attacks and attempts to corrupt it, is not to imply that you're an enemy of all criticism. We do not regard Marx's theory as something completed and inviolable. On the contrary, we're convinced that it has only laid the foundation stone of the science which socialists must develop in all directions if they wish to keep pace with life. We think that an independent elaboration of Marx's theory is especially essential for Russian socialists, for this theory provides only general guiding principles, which in particular are applied in England differently than in France, in France differently than in Germany, and in Germany differently than in Russia. We shall therefore gladly afford space in our paper for articles on theoretical questions, and we invite all comrades openly to discuss controversial points. What are the main questions that arise in the application to Russia of the program common to all social democrats? We've stated that the essence of this program is to organize the class struggle of the proletariat and to lead this struggle, the ultimate aim of which is the conquest of political power by the proletariat and the establishment of a socialist society. The class struggle of the proletariat comprises the economic struggle, the struggle against individual capitalists or against individual groups of capitalists for the improvement of the workers' condition, and the political struggle, the struggle against the government for the broadening of the people's rights, i.e. for democracy, and for the broadening of the political power of the proletariat. Some Russian social democrats, among them apparently those who direct Rabotia Missile, regard the economic struggle as incomparably the more important, and almost go so far as to relegate the political struggle to the more or less distant future. Again, this is economism. This standpoint is utterly false. All social democrats are agreed that it is necessary to organize the economic struggle of the working class, that it is necessary to carry on agitation among the workers on this basis, i.e. to help the workers in their day-to-day -day struggle against the employers, to draw their attention to every form and every case of oppression, and in this way to make clear to them the necessity for combination or unionization. But to forget the political struggle for the economic would mean to depart from the basic principle of international social democracy. It would mean to forget what the entire history of the labor movement teaches us, the confirmed adherence of the bourgeoisie, capitalists, and of the government which serves it, have even made repeated attempts to organize purely economic unions of workers, and to divert them in this way from politics, from socialism. It is quite possible that the Russian government, too, may undertake something of the kind, as it has always endeavored to throw some paltry sops, or rather sham sops, to the people, only to turn their thoughts away from the fact that they're oppressed and without rights. No economic struggle can bring the workers any lasting improvement, or can even be conducted on a large scale, 
unless the workers have the right freely to organize meetings and unions, to have their own newspapers, and to send their representatives to the national assemblies, as do the workers in Germany and all other European countries, with the exceptions of Turkey and Russia. But in order to win these rights, it's necessary to wage a political struggle. In Russia, not only the workers, but all citizens, are deprived of political rights. Russia is an absolute and unlimited monarchy. The Tsar alone promulgates laws, appoints officials, and controls them. For this reason, it seems as though in Russia the Tsar and the Tsarist government are independent of all classes and accord equal treatment to all. But in reality, all officials are chosen exclusively from the propertied class, and all are subject to the influence of the big capitalists, who make the ministers dance to their tune and who achieve whatever they want. Comment, does this sound familiar? Some things about capitalism really don't change no matter what decade of capitalism it is. Continuing, the Russian working class is burdened by a double yoke. It is robbed and plundered by the capitalists and the landlords, and to prevent it from fighting them, the police bind it hand and foot, gag it, and every attempt to defend the rights of the people is persecuted. Every strike against a capitalist results in the military and police being let loose on the workers. Every economic struggle necessarily becomes a political struggle, and social democracy must indissolubly combine the one with the other into a single class struggle of the proletariat. The first and chief aim of such a struggle must be the conquest of political rights, the conquest of political liberty. If the workers of St. Petersburg alone, with a little help from the socialists, have rapidly succeeded in wringing concession from the government, the adoption of the law on the reduction of the working day, then the Russian working class as a whole, led by a single Russian Social Democratic Labor Party, will be able, in persistent struggle, to win incomparably more important concessions. Note, this is a reference to the law of June 2nd, 1897, which established an 11 and a half hour day for industrial enterprises and railway workshops. Prior to this, there was no regulation and people would work 14 or 15 hours. The government was forced to issue this law because of pressure on the part of the working class movement headed by the Leninist League of Struggle for the Emancipation of the Working Class. Lenin detailed these events in a pamphlet called The New Factory Law. Continuing, the Russian working class is able to wage its economic and political struggle alone, even if no other class comes to its aid. But in the political struggle, the workers do not stand alone. The people's complete lack of rights and the savage lawlessness of the Bashi Bazook officials rouse the indignation of all honest, educated people who cannot reconcile themselves to the persecution of free thought and free speech. They rouse the indignation of the persecuted Poles, Finns, Jews, and Russian religious sects. They rouse the indignation of the small merchants, manufacturers, and peasants, who can nowhere find protection from the persecution of officials and police. All these groups of the population are incapable separately of carrying on a persistent political struggle, but when the working class raises the banner of the struggle, it will receive support from all sides. Russian social democracy will place itself at the head of all fighters for the rights of the people, of all fighters for democracy, and it will prove invincible. These are our fundamental views, and we shall develop them systematically and from every aspect in our paper. We are convinced that in this way, we shall tread the path which has been indicated by the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party in its published manifesto. Article 2. Our Immediate Task the Russian working class movement is today going through a period of transition. The splendid beginning achieved by the social democratic workers' organizations in the western area, St. Petersburg, Moscow, Kiev, and other cities, 
was consummated by the formation of the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party in the spring of 1898. Russian social democracy seems to have exhausted, for the time being, all its strength in making this tremendous step forward, and has gone back to the former, isolated functioning of separate local organizations. The party has not ceased to exist. It has only withdrawn into itself in order to gather strength and put the unification of all Russian social democrats on a sound footing. To effect this unification, to evolve a suitable form for it, and to get rid completely of narrow local isolation, such is the immediate and most urgent task of the Russian social democrats. We're all agreed that our task is that of the organization of the proletarian class struggle. But what is this class struggle? When the workers of a single factory or of a single branch of industry engage in struggle against their employer or employers, is this class struggle? No, this is only a weak embryo of it. The struggle of the workers becomes a class struggle only when all the foremost representatives of the entire working class of the whole country are conscious of themselves as a single working class and launch a struggle that is directed not against individual employers, but against the entire class of capitalists and against the government that supports that class. Only when the individual worker realizes that he is a member of the entire working class, only when he recognizes the fact that his petty day-to-day -day struggle against individual employers and individual government officials is a struggle against the entire bourgeoisie and the entire government, does his struggle become a class struggle. Quoting the Communist Manifesto, every class struggle is a political struggle. These famous words of Marx are not to be understood to mean that any struggle of workers against employers must always be a political struggle. They must be understood to mean that the struggle of the workers against the capitalists inevitably becomes a political struggle insofar as it becomes a class struggle. It is the task of the Social Democrats, by organizing the workers, by conducting propaganda and agitation among them, to turn the workers' spontaneous struggle against their oppressors into the struggle of the whole class, into the struggle of a definite political party for definite political and socialist ideals. This is something that cannot be achieved by local activity alone. Local social democratic activity has attained a fairly high level in our country. The seeds of social democratic ideas have been broadcast throughout Russia. Workers' leaflets, the earliest form of social democratic literature, are known to all Russian workers from St. Petersburg to Krasnoyarsk, from the Caucasus to the Urals. All that's now lacking is the unification of all this local work into the work of a single party. Our chief drawback, to the overcoming of which we must devote all our energy, is the narrow, quote, amateurish character of local work. Because of this amateurish character, many manifestations of the working class movement in Russia remain purely local events, and lose a great deal of their significance as examples for the whole of Russian social democracy, as a stage of the whole Russian working class movement. Because of this amateurishness, the consciousness of their community of interest throughout Russia is insufficiently inculcated in the workers. They do not link up their struggle sufficiently with the idea of Russian socialism and Russian democracy. Because of this amateurishness, the comrades' varying views on theoretical and practical problems are not openly discussed in a central newspaper. They do not serve the purpose of elaborating a common program and devising common tactics for the party. They are lost in narrow study circle life, or they lead to the inordinate exaggeration of local and chance peculiarities. Enough of our amateurishness. We have attained sufficient maturity to go over to common action, to the elaboration of a common party program, 
to the joint discussion of our party tactics and organization. Russian social democracy has done a great deal in criticizing old revolutionary and socialist theories. It has not limited itself to criticism and theorizing alone. It has shown that its program is not hanging in the air, but is meeting the extensive spontaneous movement among the people, that is, among the factory proletariat. It has now to make the following very difficult but very important step to elaborate an organization of the movement adapted to our conditions. Social democracy is not confined to simple service to the working class movement. It represents, quote, the combination of socialism and the working class movement, to use Karl Kautsky's definition, which repeats the basic ideas of the Communist Manifesto. The task of social democracy is to bring definite socialist ideals to the spontaneous working class movement, to connect this movement with socialist convictions that should attain the level of contemporary science, to connect it with the regular political struggle for democracy as a means of achieving socialism, in a word, to fuse this spontaneous movement into one indestructible whole with the activity of the revolutionary party. The history of socialism and democracy in Western Europe, the history of the Russian revolutionary movement, the experience of our working class movement, such as the material we must master to elaborate a purposeful organization and purposeful tactics for our party. The analysis of this material must, however, be done independently, since there are no ready-made models to be found anywhere. On the one hand, the Russian working class movement exists under conditions which are quite different from those of Western Europe. It would be most dangerous to have any illusions on this score. On the other hand, Russian social democracy differs very substantially from former revolutionary parties in Russia, so that the necessity of learning revolutionary technique and secret organization from the old Russian masters, we do not in the least hesitate to admit this necessity, does not in any way relieve us of the duty of assessing them critically and also elaborating our own organization independently. In the presentation of such a task, there are two main questions that come to the fore with particular insistence. One, how is the need for the complete liberty of local social democratic activity to be combined with the need for establishing a single and consequently a centralist party. Social democracy draws its strength from the spontaneous working class movement that manifests itself differently and at different times in the various industrial centers. The activity of the local social democratic organizations is the basis of all party activity. If, however, this is to be the activity of isolated, quote, amateurs, then it cannot, strictly speaking, be called social democratic since it will not be the organization and leadership of the class struggle of the proletariat. 2. How can we combine the striving of social democracy to become a revolutionary party that makes the struggle for political liberty its chief purpose, with the determined refusal of social democracy to organize political conspiracies, its emphatic refusal to, quote, call the workers to the barricades, as correctly noted by P.B. Axelrod, or in general, to impose on the workers this or that plan for an attack on the government, which has been thought up by a company of revolutionaries. Comment. So in this last piece, Lenin is saying that on the one hand, you need to combine the striving of the Marxist party to be a revolutionary party that makes the struggle for political liberty its chief purpose. But on the other hand, you don't want to be adventurist, blancist, conspiratorial in the sense of calling workers to revolution before there's actually a revolutionary moment. When there's a revolutionary moment, all will know because that's a decision of the masses. The party can still give crucial leadership, guidance, and advice in that moment, but it's not merely a scheme divorced from the reality of the overall situation, hatched by the party and then imposed on the masses. Continuing, 
Russian social democracy has every right to believe that it has provided the theoretical solution to these questions. To dwell on this would mean to repeat what's been said in the article, Our Program. It's now a matter of the practical solution to these questions. It's not a solution that can be made by a single person or a single group. It can be provided only by the organized activity of social democracy as a whole. We believe that the most urgent task of the moment consists in undertaking the solution of these questions, for which purpose we must have as our immediate aim the founding of a party organ, that is a media publication, and Lenin would expand this call in what is to be done a couple of years later with the calls for an all-Russia Marxist newspaper, that will appear regularly and be closely connected with all the local groups. We believe that all the activity of the Social Democrats should be directed to this end throughout the whole of the forthcoming period. Without such an organ, local work will remain narrowly amateurish. The formation of the party, if the correct representation of that party in a certain newspaper is not organized, will to a considerable extent remain bare words. An economic struggle that's not united by a central organ cannot become the class struggle of the entire Russian proletariat. It's impossible to conduct a political struggle if the party as a whole fails to make statements on all questions of policy and to give direction to the various manifestations of the struggle. The organization and disciplining of the revolutionary forces and the development of revolutionary technique are impossible without the discussion of all these questions in a central organ, without the collective elaboration of certain forms and rules, the conduct of affairs, without the establishment, through the central organ, of every party member's responsibility to the entire party. In speaking of the necessity to concentrate all party forces, all literary forces, all organizational abilities, all material resources, etc., on the foundation and correct conduct of the organ of the whole party, we do not for a moment think of pushing other forms of activity into the background, that is, local agitation, demonstrations, boycott, the persecution of spies, the bitter campaigns against individual representatives of the bourgeoisie and the government, protest strikes, etc., etc. On the contrary, we're convinced that all these forms of activity constitute the basis of the party's activity. But without their unification through an organ of the whole party, these forms of revolutionary struggle lose nine-tenths of their significance. They do not lead to the creation of common party experience, to the creation of party traditions and continuity. The party organ, far from competing with such activity, will exercise tremendous influence on its extension, consolidation, and systematization. The necessity to concentrate all forces on establishing a regularly appearing and regularly delivered organ arises out of the peculiar situation of Russian social democracy as compared with that of social democracy in other European countries and with that of the old Russian revolutionary parties. Apart from newspapers, the workers of Germany, France, etc. have numerous other means for the public manifestation of their activity, for organizing the movement, parliamentary activity, election agitation, public meetings, participation in local public bodies, both rural and urban, the open conduct of trade unions, professional, guild, etc., etc. In place of all of that, yes, all of that, we must be served until we've won political liberty by a revolutionary newspaper without which no broad organization of the entire working class movement is possible. We do not believe in conspiracies, we renounce individual revolutionary ventures to destroy the government. The words of Liebknecht, veteran of German social democracy, serve as the watchword of our activities. Study, propagandize, organize. And the pivot of this activity can and must be only the organ of the party. 
but is the regular and more or less stable establishment of such an organ possible, and if so, under what circumstances is it possible? We shall deal with this matter next time. And that brings us to Article 3, an urgent question. In the previous article, we said that our immediate task is to establish a party organ, one that appears and can be delivered regularly. We raised the question of whether and under what circumstances it's possible to achieve the same. Let us examine the more important aspects of this question. The main objection that may be raised is that the achievement of this purpose first requires the development of local group activity. We consider this fairly widespread opinion to be fallacious. We can and must immediately set about founding the party organ, and it follows the party itself, and putting them on a sound footing. The conditions essential to such a step already exist. Local party work is being carried on and obviously has struck deep roots, for the destructive police attacks that are growing more frequent lead to only short interruptions. Fresh forces rapidly replace those that have fallen in battle. The party has resources for publishing and literary forces, not only abroad but in Russia as well. The question, therefore, is whether the work that is already being conducted should be continued in amateur fashion or whether it should be organized into the work of one party and in such a way that it is reflected in its entirety in one common organ. Here we come to the most urgent question of our movement, to its sore point, organization. The improvement of revolutionary organization and discipline, the perfection of our underground technique, are an absolute necessity. We must openly admit that in this respect we are lagging behind the old Russian revolutionary parties, and must bend all our efforts to overtake and surpass them. Without improved organization, there can be no progress of our working class movement in general and no establishment of an active party with a properly functioning organ in particular. That's on the one hand. On the other, the existing party organs, organs in the sense of institutions and groups, as well as newspapers, must pay greater attention to questions of organization and exert an influence in this respect on local groups. Local, amateurish work always leads to a great excess of personal connections to study circle methods, and we have grown out of the study circle stage, which has become too narrow for our present day work, and which leads to an over-expenditure of forces. Only fusion into a single party will enable us strictly to observe the principles of division of labor and economy of forces, which must be achieved in order to reduce the losses and build as reliable a bulwark as possible against the oppression of the autocratic government and against its frantic persecutions. Comment. Remember, at this point, 1899, they were still over five years away from the 1905 to 1907 first Russian revolutionary period, in which a number of democratic concessions and civil rights were won from the autocratic czarist government. After that, they did get a parliament, the Duma, and they got a number of other rights. That's not to say that it became easy after that, but that was a slightly different environment than the one that Lenin was writing from in 1899. Continuing, against us, against the tiny groups of socialists hidden in the expanses of the Russian underground, there stands the huge machine of a most powerful modern state that's exerting all its forces to crush socialism and democracy. We are convinced that we shall, in the end, smash that police state, because all the sound and developing sections of our society are in favor of democracy and socialism. But in order to conduct a systematic struggle against the government, we must raise revolutionary organization discipline, and the technique of underground work to the highest degree of perfection. It's essential for individual party members or separate groups of members to specialize in the different aspects of party work, some in the duplication of literature, 
others in its transport against the frontier, a third category in its distribution inside Russia, a fourth in its distribution in the cities, a fifth in the arrangement of secret meeting places, a sixth in the collection of funds, a seventh in the delivery of correspondence and all information about the movement, an eighth in maintaining relations, etc., etc. We know that this sort of specialization requires much greater self-restraint, much greater ability to concentrate on modest, unseen, everyday work, much greater real heroism than the usual work in study circles. The Russian socialists and the Russian working class, however, have shown their heroic qualities, and in general, it would be a sin to complain of a shortage of people. There is to be observed among the working youth an impassioned, uncontrollable enthusiasm for the ideas of democracy and socialism, and helpers for the workers still continue to arrive from among the intellectuals, despite the fact that the prisons and places of exile are overcrowded. If the idea of the necessity for a stricter organization is made widely known among all these recruits to the revolutionary cause, the plan for the organization of a regularly published and delivered party newspaper will cease to be a dream. Let us take one of the conditions for the success of this plan, that the newspaper be assured a regular supply of correspondence and other material from everywhere. Has not history shown that at all times when there has been a resurgence of our revolutionary movement, such a purpose has proved possible of achievement even in respect of papers published abroad? If social democrats working in various localities come to regard the party newspaper as their own and consider the maintenance of regular contact with it, the discussion of their problems, and the reflection of the whole movement in it to be their main task, it will be quite possible to ensure the supply to the paper of full information about the movement, provided methods of maintaining secrecy, and not very complicated ones, are observed. The other aspect of the question, that of delivering the newspaper regularly to all parts of Russia, is much more difficult. More difficult than the similar task under previous forms of revolutionary movement in Russia when newspapers were not, to such an extent, intended for the masses of the people. The purpose of social democratic newspapers, however, facilitates their distribution. The chief places to which the newspaper must be delivered regularly and in large numbers are the industrial centers, factory villages and towns, the factory districts of big cities, etc. In such centers, the population is almost entirely working class. In actual fact, the worker in such places is master of the situation and has hundreds of ways of outwitting the police. Relations with neighboring factory centers are distinguished by their extraordinary activity. At the time of the exceptional law against the socialists, 1878 to 1890 in Germany, which suppressed all organizations of the Social Democratic Party, mass working class organizations, and the labor press, later annulled from pressure from the working class movement, the German political police did not function worse, but probably better, than the Russian police. Nevertheless, the German workers, thanks to their organization and discipline, were able to ensure the regular transport across the frontiers of a weekly illegal newspaper and to deliver it to the houses of all subscribers so that even the ministers could not refrain from admiring the Social Democratic Post, aka the Red Mail. We do not, of course, dream of such successes, but we can, if we bend our efforts toward it, ensure that our party newspaper appears no fewer than 12 times a year and is regularly delivered in all the main centers of the movement to all groups of workers who can be reached by socialism. To return to the question of specialization, we must also point out that its insufficiency is due partially to the dominance of amateur work and partially to the fact that our social democratic newspapers usually devote far too little attention to questions of organization. 
Only the establishment of a common party organ can give the worker in a given field of revolutionary activity the consciousness that they are marching with the rank and file, the consciousness that their work is directly essential to the party, that they are one of the links in the chain that will form a noose to strangle the most evil enemy of the Russian proletariat and of the whole Russian people, the Russian autocratic government. Only strict adherence to this type of specialization can economize our forces. Not only will every aspect of revolutionary work be carried out by a smaller number of people, but there will be an opportunity to make a number of aspects of present-day activities legal affairs. This legalization of activity, its conduct within the framework of the law, has long been advised for Russian socialists by Forwards, the chief organ of the German Social Democrats. At first sight, one is astonished at such advice, but in actual fact it merits careful attention. Almost everyone who has worked in a local study circle in some city will easily remember that among the numerous and diverse affairs in which the circle engaged, some were in themselves legal, e.g. the gathering of information on the workers' conditions, the study of legal literature on many questions, consultation and reviewing of certain types of foreign literature, maintenance of certain kinds of relations, aid to workers in obtaining a general education, and studying factory laws, etc., Making affairs of this sort the specific function of a special contingent of people would reduce the strength of the revolutionary army in the firing line, so to speak, without any reduction of its fighting potential, and increase the strength of the reserve, those who replace the, quote, killed and wounded. This will only be possible when both the active members and the reserve see their activities reflected in the common organ of the party and sense their connection with it. Local meetings of workers and local groups will, of course, always be necessary, no matter to what extent we carry out our specialization. But on the one hand, the number of mass revolutionary meetings, particularly dangerous from the standpoint of police action, and often having results far from commensurate with the danger involved, will become considerably less. And on the other hand, the selection of various aspects of revolutionary work as special functions will provide greater opportunities to screen such meetings behind legal forms of assembly entertainments, meetings of society sanctioned by the law, etc. Were not the French workers under Napoleon III and the German workers at the time of the exceptional law against the socialists able to devise all possible ways to cover up their political and socialist meetings? Russian workers will be able to do likewise. Further, only by better organization and the establishment of a common party organ will it be possible to extend and deepen the very content of social democratic propaganda and agitation. We stand in great need of this. Local work must almost inevitably lead to the exaggeration of local particularities. Note, there's a missing part of the manuscript here, and then it picks up with, this is impossible without a central organ, which will, at the same time, be an advanced democratic organ. Only then will our urge to convert social democracy into a leading fighter for democracy become reality. Only then, too, shall we be able to work out definite political tactics. Social democracy has renounced the fallacious theory of the, quote, one reactionary mass. It regards utilization of the support of the progressive classes against the reactionary classes to be one of the most important political tasks. As long as the organizations and publications are local in character, this task can hardly be carried out at all. Matters do not go farther than relations with individual, quote, liberals and the extraction of various services from them. Only a common party organ, consistently implementing the principles of political struggle and holding high the banner of democracy, 
will be able to win over to its side all militant democratic elements and use all Russia's progressive forces in the struggle for political freedom. Only then shall we be able to convert the workers' smoldering hatred of the police and the authorities into conscious hatred of the autocratic government and into determination to conduct a desperate struggle for the rights of the working class and of the entire Russian people. In modern Russia, a strictly organized revolutionary party built up on this foundation will prove the greatest political force. In subsequent issues, we shall publish the draft program of the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party and begin a more detailed discussion of the various organizational questions. That's the end of the audiobook. I don't really have a ton of comments. Like I said before, a lot of these themes are developed. As Lenin said, he reserved the right to work these articles up into full pamphlet treatment, and clearly a lot of these did end up in what is to be done. In particular, I think that the point that is often attacked by anti-Leninists about having professional revolutionaries, which is put in those words in what is to be done, here I think you see more of the context for it. He's talking about professional revolutionaries, in other words, people who are really dedicated to polishing it up and getting away from what he called about 30 times in these articles, amateurism, the amateurish quality, etc., which he felt was holding the movement back. So, you know, there's a lot of these um, anarchist and left-com anti-Leninist complaints about, you know, Lenin wanted this sort of uh, petty bourgeois, like middle-class cabal of, you know, professionals who sort of keep everyone else at arm's length. That's really not it at all. If you understand the context of what he's talking about, it makes perfect sense. Now, where we stand in a country like the United States today, obviously the left is still very fragmented. There's also tons of anti-communist ideology out there, which really we have yet to overcome. I'm not totally convinced that we're at that point yet. I think that, you know, um, Lenin's calls for the sort of all-Russia newspaper, the getting away from amateurism, I think we can't help but have that amateurish quality. And I say that not just as somebody running a sort of lone YouTube channel, which is growing and making connections as it goes. But um, I don't see that from anywhere, not just, you know, sort of my thing. I mean, at this point, for example, uh, this channel has almost double the subscribers as the official Communist Party of the United States of America. That's not a great reflection on the overall organizational capacity of the movement at this point. You know, in my assessment, I think that the U.S. left has to raise its class consciousness really considerably before anything meaningful can be done. And I'd like to see that accomplished by whatever next steps the U.S. left is prepared to take, taking them. You know, clearly the biggest moment that we had in the recent past, well, we had two of them, Occupy Wall Street and the Bernie Sanders campaign, which unfortunately was run within the Democratic Party. And then Bernie Sanders, while nominally an independent, functionally is a Democrat and has been channeling basically all of this energy of the millions of people who showed up by the stadium full to support his campaign, which embraced a number of the uh, topics that came up during Occupy, for example, you know, organic grievances of the U.S. people in general. He polished a lot of those into a platform. Now, other parties have done that, too. The Green Party, for example, if you compare the Green Party to Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is like 75% of the Green Party platform. Other parties have very similar initial transitional demands that they sort of put out there. 
And there is some interest in that. You know, right now, Cornell West is the presumptive presidential nominee for the Green Party. They don't actually have their primary, I believe, till next summer. So we're like 11 months away from that still. But, you know, there is some interest. We had the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. There have been various outpourings. I think we're also on the brink of a massive economic crash again. You know, we've had this record high inflation recently, and it is going to come unwound in the next couple of years. But anyway, we've seen the U.S. left in general really struggle, you know, despite sort of maybe they will cast a protest vote for a particular candidate or they'll share some memes or something. It's not anywhere near the congealing into true class struggle as Lenin was describing in here, and I think correctly describing in here. So what needs to happen in between before this struggle becomes serious for the U.S. left? Because as I've said many times, there tend to be two modes of action for people who want to see change. Uh, one, trying to work within and reform the Democratic Party. Then when they see that that doesn't work, never will work, dropping out and doing nothing. So what we need is people to stay in the fight, but outside of the imperialist parties and against the imperialist parties, you know, organizing in something which belongs to us, which isn't dominated by capitalist money, which is an actually independent movement of and by the workers. I think we need to see the labor movement get rebuilt before that's really going to be a thing, because that is a key factor in expanding people's class consciousness and you know, raising the impression that people get of like, oh, we have real power. These are the sides. I'm in a fight, whether I like it or not. And I have to, you know, support and build my side. We're just not there yet. So, um, you know, that is what it is. I've been advocating that people just take whatever next step they're ready to take. We just did Reform a Revolution on the channel by Rosa Luxemburg. That was the last audiobook we put up. And that covers, you know, the Marxist attitude toward reform, which is we encourage the working class to engage in trade union activity and whatever parliamentary activity that they can for the purpose of one, trying to win better conditions in the short term, which is possible, and two, raising class consciousness that these activities in themselves, while they can get some better conditions in the immediate term under capitalism, they will never actually completely end the system, and that is where separate revolutionary activity has to come in. Unfortunately, people have become so results-oriented, and there's such this sort of sock-dem consciousness. You just see Kyle Kalinske in my mind right now. There's this focus on like, what's going to work? How do we win elections? Like, blah, blah, blah. The point is getting organized in a workers party. The point is struggle. If you win, that's great. But really what you're trying to do is raise class consciousness and show to the workers through their own activity, the shape, scale, size, sides, and dimensions of the class struggle in which they find themselves, or at least the class antagonisms in which they find themselves, which can be turned into class struggle on their part if they gain that consciousness. But yeah, it's not about sort of, you know, just the short-term results under capitalism unless all you're trying to do is reform capitalism. But socialism means we are looking beyond capitalism. And unfortunately, right now, both the consciousness of that and the knowledge of the methods and the history is still really lacking, which is why, you know, here at the channel, we're still trying to do broad-based, public-facing, but communist-oriented. That is, this isn't for every random member of the public what we're doing at this channel. It's people who 
maybe have been through some amount of struggle, have been involved in some kind of left political activity, maybe they were in a labor union effort or whatever, and they become curious about, well, how do I go to the next step? You know, how do we actually get out of this whole thing? And that knowledge, I think, really has to spread a lot. Um, again, you know, I think we're not quite at the level of the movement that Lenin was discussing in this piece. But, you know, it is what it is. By recognizing the situation we're working with, we can adapt our methods and, you know, approach it correctly. All right. I guess I did have more comments than I thought. Anyway, I mentioned Rosa Luxemburg. We are, if you're listening to this in August 2023, as it's being published, we have just begun a Rosa Luxemburg series. However, there are going to be a few texts by other people. Then they can at, uh, well, mostly Lenin. There's a few pieces, not a lot, mostly Luxembourg. But uh, there's a few pieces that she's writing a response to Lenin or he is writing a response to her. So there will be like, you know, four or five Lenin things here, especially at the beginning. And there will be long stretches of Rosa Luxemburg. When we finish this block, we'll go on to other topics, but I'll talk about that in a stream. Otherwise, what about you? What do you think? Leave a question or comment below. We will continue the discussion in the comments section as always. Otherwise, thanks for listening and thanks to the current patrons whose names are on the screen. If you'd like to get your name on the screen, head to patreon.com slash socialism for all. You can sign up for as little as $2 a month or more. Every donation is encouraging. They're also materially helpful. I would make some kind of content even if nobody supported, but I am able to spend vastly more time on it because there is substantial support through the Patreon. I really appreciate that. So if you like this channel, thank me, of course, but also thank a patron and thank the other people who helped to boost this channel through engagement, liking, sharing, subscribing, and commenting, and also the many contributors who contact me through messages or whatever, sending in story ideas, asking questions, and contributing to the general discussion and flow of ideas, reporting on what's going on in their area, participating in the live streams that we do every so often at twitch.tv slash socialismsfora. All of it's appreciated. All of it helps to make the channel what it is. So thank you for that, and we will see you in the next video.